0: Lo Talk
1: radio Welcome once again the Lucky Mojo Huda Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Evan Lionheart of evanlionheart.com in New Jersey. In just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Conjurman of conjurmanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California, Doc Murphy of docmurphy.com in in Pianistan, Minnesota, (laughs) and this week's special guest. Catherine Warnwood of LuckyLoja.com in Forestville, California, and Dr. Jeremy Weiss of TempleofMariam.com discussing their new edition of Henri Gamache's Pairs of the Evil Eye Exposed. Together, they will take your call and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or root work as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodoists of our time you can learn a lot just by listening but if you're selected from among those signed up at the lucky mojo forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation we'll be going to the phones in just a moment but first let's catch up with our co-host conjure man and doc murphy uh doc
2: well, hello everyone. This is uh unexpected. We're still awaiting Man Ali to uh log in and arrive here in the show. So, I am um, unexpectedly flying solo improvising as a guest co-host without another guest co-host. So, um thank you for your <laughs> for your patience. Um um, I am also going to ask um we have uh, two wonderful guests today, um, Miss Kat Ironwood and Dr. Jeremy Weiss. And I'm also going to ask Miss Kat to kind of uh, float in here and guest co host with me. Um this <laughs> yeah. is a, an, I'll be the an, ghost an, an I'll be I'll, the ghost co host. Yeah. The ghost <laughs> co
3: host
2: I was gonna say. Um um I'm this is a, being called to improv. Um it's not something I was expecting tonight. However, I'm here and I want to welcome everyone yet again to the Lucky Mojo Hulu Rootwork Hour. Um, uh, a little bit of what's kind of been going on in a Doc Murphy world here. Uh, this last couple of weeks, I have actually not been attending uh, the Lucky Mojo Hulu Rootwork Hour in my usual spot in the chat because I was away at the, Lucky, at the um, Sacred Harvest Festival, the Taken Festival, mm-hmm. in Minnesota, And uh, this was actually a fest that I did uh, my dissertation research on back in the early aughts. It's been about a decade since I've been, but they invited me back as a guest speaker to speak about my research and about um, kind of the pagan anthropological know, and it was absolutely wonderful, wonderful to be back. Um, yeah. I'm still a little tired. I'm still in, unpacking soggy camping clothes. I'm still <laughs> finding gifts that people have spirited into my bag of a magical nature. It's it's been uh, like I said, it was it was uh, healing uh, work that I didn't realize that I needed, and um, a time to really reflect on, um, and and be really grateful not only for the. Uh, work that I did for, alongside these folks, but also really how long the bonds of community have been with this group. So that's where I was for the last uh, two Sundays. That's why I was um, not available. So that's sort of what's been going on here in, in the Paganistan. Um, I would like to welcome and say hello to Miss Kat Ironwood, who is a usual uh, co-host, um, but she is our also our co guest today, uh, with a really exciting topic. Um, welcome, Miss Kat. How are things going at Lucky Mojo and in Forestville, California? Oh,
3: well, uh they're they're just um a little chaotic. Um you know, a things uh, well, <laughs> a little chaotic, yes, really. Right. Um in the in the run up to the uh annual Hoodoo Heritage Festival, there's always um strong side winds blow and um sometimes you know there's just you have to kind of stay your path so that's what we're at I have recorded the audio for my video presentation for the festival and um it's now in the capable hands of Tim Gennert a friend of ours and um re- owns a recording studio, and he's also a computer hardware guy. Anyone under the sound of my voice who lives anywhere within driving distance of Santa Rosa, check out Tim Gennert. He's really good with computers, uh, reconstructing, restoring, reconfiguring them, installing ring cameras, making films, film editing, and, of course, his real specialty is audio recording editing. Wonderful man. So big thanks to him. Um, big thanks to um my uh, co-guest here Dr. Jeremy who got me off of my little mini panic attack and got me recording <laughs> he, he just <laughs> basically said you can do it and I did it I just I just need someone to just stand in my corner and go there you go and I, it happened and he was wonderful and I'm your um number one cheerleader. Ah, uh, you are. Yeah, you're number one cheerleader too, Jeremy. Um, so that's what's been happening here. I do um, usually when I am um, the first uh, person, I usually ask or an answer Evan what's new with him. So let's give him a shout out. Evan is going to be presenting at the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, and uh, what's going on at um, at in Evan Lionheart Land.
1: Oh, well, I'm I'm glad I didn't uh, put my headset down there for a second. Um, I, every, yeah, everything's uh, going pretty well in uh, Evan Land. I am wrapping up my own presentation. I'm actually working on some of the slides as we speak. Uh, I am just, you know, working on some client stuff as well. Uh, not really at liberty to share too much about it, but um, I am very much looking – forward to the astrology for September. I've been working on that. I'm getting that video out soon. Um, And yeah, we have uh, the last Mercury retrograde uh, coming up, I believe. No, I think second? So it might be (laughs) the... Might be the second. I don't know. This has been a long year. But um yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to that and um some other transits and ingresses coming up. So um it you know, September looks like a fun time. I'm having fun and I'm very much looking forward to the festival. So um
3: yeah, that's that's what's going on in my world. Great. Well, um as you know, you live long enough and you, you there's a, a it should be a meme, but I've never seen it. There's always another Mercury retrograde. (laughs) 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 Um, I sometimes (laughs) wonder how civilization even gets anything done. Because Mercury retrograde, it's not you know it's two steps forward, one step back. Mercury retrograde undoes the good communications, the happy things that you've done. Your you know your printer catches on fire, your computer keyboard comes apart, the letter V falls off of your keyboard, and you don't know why. (laughs) Um, These are the things that Mercury retrograde brings to us, and um, you know it's life. but um I'm looking forward with great anticipation to your astrology uh, workshop and, and all your other astrology presentations. I know that you've got quite a lot going on and it's it's wonderful to know that. Um, thank, you. thank you. And uh I'm um just uh, I guess I guess we're not going to have Ollie. I'm just gonna declare um Ollie is not here. And I think that I just wanna say something. Ollie um Was gone last week, and I think there's some there's various stuff going on in his life. I would not want to presume too much, but those of us who are friends of his um, know that he has um, some uh, political um, interests, and the uh, collapse of the government in Afghanistan is definitely um, having an impact on him. He has family there, so heartfelt. He said
1: his flight was delayed.
3: His flight was delayed. Well, I'm sure. I mean, things are all very odd. Um, got he got alluded to Washington, D.C. I just might, I'm glad you got a message from him. That was Nagashiva speaking. Thank you. So he's okay. I mean, I don't think he's in Afghanistan. I know he's not in Afghanistan. Thank God. But I, I just, I have this heavy feeling because we haven't talked about this since all of this has gone down and he's been off the show. So love and hugs and and um and best best thoughts to everybody in afghanistan and um and all the families and friends out there and i and i um you know we'll we'll just carry on without him so we will indeed um, yeah yeah i so, know uh um, personally
2: i am <laughs> i was gonna say personally i am very much looking forward to the uh, Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival this year, Um, so much so that I am going to be missing Twin Cities Pagan Pride for the first time in 20 years to be able to attend. Um, They happen to land on the same weekend. Yeah, they happen to land on the same weekend, and I just told friends at the Sacred Harvest Festival that I would not be at Pagan Pride, and their eyes went big, and I said, well, it's the same weekend as the Hoodoo Heritage Festival, and they all went, oh, well, of course you're going to be there. (laughs) what,
3: What loyalty... Thank you so much. That's oh yeah, I so, of course. That's a, that's that's great. Well, I know that Miss um, Robin yeah, and Miss La- Robin and Lady Muse, who are on the committee, are doing a lot of hard work to get the thing together. Deacon Millett is as assisting from a technical standpoint, and um, but the festival really this time is really being run by Miss um, Robin and Lady Muse, and it's a. a Whatever comes out of it is going to be a credit to them. And I'm very, very Mm -hmm. pleased to see how things are going. Um, Me and my crew just got done uh, threading hundreds of little tiny blue eye beads on red thread. And Jeremy knows. (laughs) Wow. And, uh, (laughs) And the reason we did it, we didn't make the didn't do the twisting or anything. We just threaded them because we know that a certain percentage of people will open that little manila envelope and they'll see the red thread and the bead and they won't be able to get the thread through the bead hole for whatever reason. So we pre-threaded them for you folks. Oh,
0: that's nice. <laughs>
3: so, so that brings us to the topic of this show, which is our new book, Terrors of the Evil I Exposed by Henri Gamache. Restored mm-hmm. and revised by Catherine Ironwood and Dr. Jeremy Weiss. So welcome, Dr. Jeremy. Well, thank you. Nice to be here. Um, happy to be here. Our, our former announcer, our eternal cousin, um, <laughs> and and the presenter, presenter and manager of last year's Huda Heritage Festival, which was our first virtual one and was a great success. Um mm. So, uh, uh, Jeremy, um, Yeah. Terrors of the Evil I Exposed, Uh, I'm just going to give an introduction, and then you can take it away for as long as you want. Terrors of the Evil I Exposed is a book that was sold um, in hoodoo drugstores and in black-owned newspapers. And for those unfamiliar with history, uh, during the era of segregation, there was a large uh, network of black owned newspapers some of them small they were weeklies with eight pages some of them regular daily newspapers most of them weekly and they uh, carried ads for uh hoodoo products as well as for you know clothing alcohol tobacco whatever other things they might be and the ads were uh usually uh oriented toward african american uh, culture, In other words, they would hire artists to show a black person smoking Lucky Strike cigarettes and getting lung cancer rather than a white person. And these newspapers are much forgotten, largely forgotten. They do exist in collections, um, you know, because there were libraries that collected them. But... Um, when talking about the history of how hoodoo spread around the country after emancipation and which coincided and the rise of wood pulp newspaper printing we really have to see these black owned newspapers as one of the chief ways of getting this material before um, an appreciative public The book, Terrors of the Evil Eye Exposed, was one of those books. It has a compelling cover uh, drawn by a a comic book artist named Charles M. Quinlan, who had previously and subsequently worked on a number of other hoodoo books. Legends of Infants, Urban Oil Magic was one of them, and um, How to Get Your Winning Number. And these were different books that um, he did illustrations for. He was based in New York. The author, Henri Gamache, was based in New York. The book was printed in New York. And that was, for many years, all that was known about it. I became slightly obsessed with who was Henri Gamache. I mean, you look it up in the phone book and there's nobody with that name, and you look it up in 100 phone books and there's never anybody by that name, and you begin to wonder, is this a pseudonym? It was a very specific French-sounding name, and um, but it was a pseudonym, and it took years of researching. I, I had figured out where Henri Gamache Studied and researched which branch of the New York Public Library this person got all their books from that they used and mentioned in their bibliography. And Terrorists of the Evil Eye" exposed was um, was a big big hit. By 1969, um, the title was changed to "Protection Against Evil," which wasn't as good a title because really it's about evil eye, not just about evil. I mean, it's not about you know bad politicians who want to take your rights away. It's not about you know serial killers. It's not about you know, thugs in the night who want to mug you and take your pocketbook. it was about the evil high, so changing it to protection against evil was a misnomer. I always wanted to change the name back and reprint it after it went out of print and it was printed through by a succession of printers, and eventually they ceased publication so this was on my short list of books to reprint, and here it is and um I found out who Henri Gamache was and that was the one thing I really bring to this which I'm very proud of Henri Gamache was a woman named Anne Fleitman and she lived in Brooklyn and she wrote a number of books about uh, folk magic folklore and um about healing faith healing just different topics of metaphysics and she was she lived a long interesting life she had several pseudonyms another pseudonym of hers was Sally Edward and she was – there was no Henri Gamache. And once I saw that, I really felt uh, like a reaching out through the ages and restoring this book. And that's when I brought in Dr. Jeremy Weiss to help me. So take it away, Jeremy. Tell us about terrorism <laughs> that you will i exposed. Uh, well, um, and
4: <coughs> sorry, Anne Fleitman, Henri Gamache. Provided a very wonderful framework, um, but it was kind of small. The book, you know, um, and it was a great frame. It was a great framework, but it didn't have all the information that you and I knew about uh, 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 the evil eye. So it was a great opportunity for us to really expand uh, expand the knowledge that. Expound upon the knowledge that's in that book, um, and and really get get the knowledge out there. There was really um, academically, you know, as you know, uh, two other real mm, experts in the evil eye: Ellsworthy and and um, and Dundas, who you you you've made a little Valentine in the book for, which is very sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. Who who who. Uh, Really, um, those two people were really uh, had I would say captured most of the knowledge around the folklore of the evil eye. But we've mm-hmm. gone even beyond that, I think. So I, I'm very excited, and it's and everything in the book is very very practical. I love how the book is 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 laid out. So if you want, you can literally pick up the book anywhere you want and, and you can just start, start reading and you, you don't necessarily have to read you know, what's come before, per se. You can just read about hand ambulance and you can just read about you know, beans that are anti-evil eye and then you can read a whole page about lemons and how they avert the evil eye. And so there's so many formulas and uh, and and the history and the lore—it's I, I just, this is one of my this has been one of my favorite projects.
3: Well, I m- me too, and and actually expanding it, we we literally doubled its content. And I will say, I did um, the bulk of the writing of that. You did a tremendous amount of research behind the scenes, and you also did some of the writing. So it's a real three-way collaboration between Fleitman You and Me. And you're right, the book is presented in such a way you could pick it up anywhere and open it anywhere. But it does have a content layout, which I changed from her content, which I felt was a little scattered. And uh, because it was a shorter book, she didn't need to break it out into big chapters. So just to let you know what's in it, of course, there's a dedication, there's an acknowledgement, there's who wrote this book, which is the big mystery, um, a valentine for Alan Dundee's, and then uh, Henri Gamache's preface about the evil eye, how it may have begun and where it came from. And then we got into a survey of the evil eye. Now, this was Jeremy and my research, what people call it, who does it, and how do they do it? Who it hurts, and how to help them? How it is prevented? And then uh, Anne Fleitman had written a wonderful section called "Why It Is Hidden Knowledge Today." So we ex- uh, uh, explored that. So let's talk for just a minute about what is the evil eye. The evil eye is the giving of a glance of sinister intent, but it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily a withering death stare. It may be just covetousness, the look of damn, I wish I had that pretty ring that that lady is wearing. And you look at it and give it the evil eye, then it's too tight for her finger, she can't get it off, she has to cut it off, that ring is ruined. Who knows? I mean, things like that happen. Um, And there are, in evil eye cultures, many beliefs um, surrounding who would give the evil eye and why, and sometimes people give it inadvertently. And then the... um, The next question is, who gives it? So there's a section called a taxonomy of the evil eye, and this is where we talk about envy. The evil eye is generally mistranslated in English as evil. It really should be called the eye of envy or the envious eye. That's what it's called in the Bible. And you can find um, the belief in evil eye uh, being given and sent to people through envy Going way back in history, even before the Bible, you'll find references to it. And it isn't only people who are attacked, who are envied. There is evil eye against the bread on a plate. If the bread is too perfect and too pretty, um, people may look at it and, you know, give it the evil eye. And the bread may m- turn out not to be <laughs> right? So, But the the person who gives it may be envious. They may have an eye of unusual appearance. Now, this can be simply prejudice against people with odd-looking eyes. In some cases, it is. There's the projective evil eye. That's the person who harbors a feeling of victimization, loss, or covetousness and deliberately sends out the evil eye. It's more like evil. It's called the projective evil eye. And then there's the evil eyes effects. It has effects on children, on mothers, on women, on men, on animals, on plants, on eating. And all of these effects are the loss of moisture. The children vomit or get diarrhea and die of dehydration. The mother's breast milk dries up. The tree's fruit drops. The milk cow or goat goes dry. These are the effects. Oh, and men um, have erectile dysfunction. Plants wither, flowers um, just decay instead of blooming. The evil eye is the withering glance. Now, um, then we have what are called precautions against the evil eye. And then we have averting the evil eye. And here, I'd like to turn this over to you, um, Jeremy. Why don't you talk about a few of the ways that we avert the evil eye uh, to keep it from hitting us? uh to keep it from uh you mean uh, you mean like reflecting uh yeah mirrors? reflecting it back averting it yeah mirrors is a good one yeah
4: sure sure um so there's there's a there's uh a, a, a lot of uh techniques some uh some can be screening like a veil a veil uh so that uh the evil eye you know the eye can't be seen right if
0: mm-hmm. you still
4: put the to protect the baby, they might put a veil over the carriage so the baby mm-hmm. isn't seen. You might put a reflective surface, such as a mirror, to, to cause uh, the evil eye to bounce off, the glance bounces away. And in, in the Jewish tradition, during a very, very happy time, like a wedding, uh, people stomp on a glass. At the precise moment where the, the the marriage happens, the the sound of the shattering glass is uh, also meant uh, meant to avert and distract the evil eye. So you can distract the evil eye. That's one of the methods. You can block the evil eye. That's another defense mechanism. You can you can wet the evil eye, like by throwing bit at it. That's, a, that's another defense mechanism. You can hurt the evil eye by the thing that you, uh, the liquid that you put in it may be like lemon juice. It might sting. Or you can hurt the evil eye maybe with a spike by stabbing the eye. So these are all mm-hmm. ways. So you can get the eye to either look away. You can block the eye gaze. Or mm-hmm. you can Defend against the eye by by uh spinning at it and, and hurting it, uh those are the methods.
3: With, the, with the, water. Method. the evil the evil eye is kind of like um the wicked witch of the West. When water gets on the evil eye, the evil eye kind of just withers and dies. And so there's also words that are used to um, avert the evil eye and gestures. There are hand gestures you can make. And this book gives everything. I mean, there's pictures, there's... There's descriptions. There are also certain colors that avert the evil eye, and those are the colors red and blue. And in India, the color black is also used. There are thread and string and cord charms. This is long-standing, probably goes back to Neolithic times, putting a thread or cord around someone's neck or their wrist to stop the eye of envy um, from harming them. And then what you mentioned before, the eye itself against the eye. The eye against the eye is to use a charm or amulet that looks like an eye. Uh, and these go back, of course, ancient times um, in Africa, in the Mediterranean. You'll find these eye charms and also hand charms. And the hands almost always point downward until the 21st century when people began wanting them to point upward for some reason. Um I don't know, it's been a shocking change because they always point it down. And the pointing down of the uh, hand, often is the hand is relaxed and there's an eye in the hand. It's like an eyeball in the hand. It's a symbol that many people have seen. The hand itself pointing down seems to point to the idea of a female goddess and her vulva. And there's a whole... Side trip about applying to the female for protection of the male genitalia, that the moisture of the female uh, protects the male and also protects babies as well. In um, in South Asia and South, uh, there's a lot of use of shoes. Uh, also in the Middle East, shoes to ward off the evil, but shoes are also taken to be a, a symbol of a vulva. And rue is a plant that's used to repel the evil eye. Now rue, although most people don't know it, is related to lemons. Lemons are against the evil eye because just like the squirt of the lemon, the lemon looks like an eye. But the rue plant is um, actually a lemon, or an orange, if you want to call it that way. And so it contains that same essence that is used to avert the eye of envy. And we go into it in great detail. Um, the use of these uh, charms to take away the evil eye, mojo hands, for instance, and they're also gendered charms. There are charms that only men wear and charms that only ch- children wear and charms that only women wear. They're just different gendered ch- and and socially appropriate charms in some cultures, not all cultures. And there's also the use of protection in the decorative arts. And that's one of the fascinating things about this book. There are page after page after page of the most incredible uh, drawings which you look what do these things have in common they were all found in the decorative arts of india to protect against the evil eye and they are amazing they're very well explained by Henri gamache and came from the work of a much earlier scholar named Abbe dubois and they are they are very, very fascinating. They're used in weaving and in um, block printing fabric, for instance. And so yeah. you would literally be wearing a dress covered with evil eye charms when you wore that was a piece of fabric. Yeah. It's yeah. very cool.
4: The pattern, wow. the pattern itself is anti-evil eye. That I found absolutely fascinating, that tapestry, that, that the weaving. A specific pattern, uh, well, I mean it's just like a sigil or anything else really in that regard, but it's just, just taken to another level of artistry to actually be wearing the cloth that is anti evil eye.
3: Well, because you know, you might be very pretty, you're all dressed up. And right. the same things there there are patterns that tessellate and are used in tile work to protect the building against people saying, well, I live in a in a darn hovel, and here's this beautiful temple. I wish it would crumble to the ground. And that moment of their thought they might um, cause God to look down upon the people who built the temple and say, you know, you guys were pretty arrogant. Why don't you give more money to the poor? I'm going to send an earthquake and crumble this temple to the ground, just like this guy asked. And so, the inside of temples and um, other churches and other places of worship often are covered with anti-evil eye motifs that uh, nullify or send back the evil eye of the people who enter those buildings.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, here's an interesting and fun way of nullifying the evil eye. <clears throat> You're talking about children who are too cute because they're adorable. So, what can you do to make people less adorable? You put a little bit of dirt on them mhm, <laughs> right You put a little smear, you smear uh you put a little mm-hmm. smear on them, and that it's protective against the evil eye you, you know you you're not you're you know the hair'cause otherwise they're just too perfect. They're just too darn cute mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, smearing a child with dirt is um fascinating it's found everywhere around the world um, where the evil eye exists um, it is so common In in, um, I, I was just talking recently with a, a lady who was from India and uh, she was telling me about uh, on the wedding there are different points in different cultures where the evil eye um, can come out the most and um, among people in India the wedding is a very vulnerable point And um, the birth of a child is vulnerable also. In Jewish uh, culture, the birth of a child is probably considered a little more vulnerable than a wedding, but they're both vulnerable. Um, And what she was telling me about was all of the different things that she and her family used to prevent the evil eye at her daughter's wedding. One of the things was so simple, which was never to announce the wedding plans. The place that the wedding was going to happen, they would never make an announcement in the newspaper. They would only invite the guests they were going to invite, and that was it. It's kind of like the old story of Sleeping Beauty with that, you know, the fairy godmothers come and giving the blessings. And there's the one fairy who felt, you know, disrespected and uninvited, and she came and she brought, you know, death to Sleeping Beauty. That's what they're afraid of, that somebody who hears in advance of the plans and realizes they haven't received an invitation, will jinx the wedding. Now, jinxing, yeah. is, well, that's uh, why also- jinxing is a word used in America to describe this. And I, I'm going to give you a couple of other American terms, because people think, oh, this is so exotic, you're talking about India, you're talking about Jews, you're talking about the Middle East, you're talking about Africa. In America, the evil eye has a number of names. My favorite is the whammy. He gave him the whammy. And um, if you look at them with both <laughs> eyes and do it, it's called the double whammy. Um, there's also the squint eye, the stink eye, the side eye, and of course, among the English, it's the, the, the withering glance.
2: This is so exciting to listen to. I'm, uh, for an anthropologist like me, listening to all of the cross-cultural. Uh, similarities and differences and the research that you guys have done has been, is already exciting. I can't wait to read this book. It's really, really exciting already. Um, I do have a sort of an anthropological question here. Um, sure. In the sense that whenever you, whenever there seems to be a, a, a problem and a solution magically. We have to kind of ask about sort of a cultural function. And what I'm talking about is sort of this, this cultural function of envy and the cultural function of the repelling of envy. There's, there seems to be as many uh, occasions in, in many of these cultures to uh, dress up, to be beautiful, to be successful, to show off a cute baby. There's just as much. Um, uh, jealousy and envy headed your way. I remember growing up and being told by my grandparents if we were looking at somebody, they would, they would kind of hit you and go, don't stare, that's rude. Um, as, as if right. sort of inadvertently when if you were fascinated by somebody or you were staring or trying to figure something out, they sort of, are, and Grandpa was Italian, you know, so there was, mm-hmm. there was a little bit of that. Um, uh, and so uh, kind of if in the course of uh, researching the book and researching these cultures, um, if there were any insights about um, how jealousy functioned and how the repelling of jealousy functioned, but also the warning against um, um, drawing attention to yourself so you wouldn't attract the evil eye. I mean, did, you, did you find any of those sort of functional patterns in the research? A-
3: absolutely. And and um, what, what you're saying is absolutely in here. And I have to give credit to... Um, uh, Anne Flightman or Henri Gamache, because she went into um, a long section on the evil eye in Africa. Now she had done; she hadn't been in Africa. She was a researcher and, um, you know, an amateur anthropologist, I guess you could say. But she talked about the way um, that it, lest you boast, you, you just mustn't boast was the idea. And so she mentioned something which I found. Very interesting. Um, when a person, and this was from you know, some, some anthropological source, when a person uh, managed to kill game, they wouldn't bring home the entire, let's say they killed a, a deer or a gazelle, they wouldn't bring home the entire deer or gazelle. They'd put it in the bushes and um, and bring home just enough meat for one or two days because otherwise there would be people thinking, well, you guys have too much. Now, in some cultures, this was averted by distributing it all here it is it's for the whole village. But if you really needed something, you kind of didn't show your wealth and so the function of it as as you would look at it is that it's to keep societies from disintegrating into autocrats uh and and serfs or from you know haves and have nots It tends to level society. But there are some things <laughs> that cannot be leveled. For instance, in Jewish tradition, when the portions of the Torah are read, it is it is against Jewish custom and some say Jewish law for two members, particularly a father and a son, to read consecutive Torah portions. Not because um, there is wealth expressed in who gets to read them, but the wealth is something that can't be avoided. Having a son who could read Torah with you is um, it's a blessing that others may not have, so you can't flaunt it, and so there's a self limiting idea there. You, you know,
4: don't... I'd like to comment on that. Um, I, sure. You know, uh, just just for a second, or just expand. You know, uh, when we were doing the research of this of this book, I, I it was always I don't know why, but in in the back of my mind. Uh, my, mm, you know, growing up uh, in a Jewish um, environment, um, I always thought it was funny when when people would ask other, other Jews, well, how are you doing? How are you? And they, mm-hmm. they almost invariably would answer. What would they answer? I can't, they don't answer. I can't complain. Great. Yeah. I can't <laughs> complain. I can't complain. And why do they answer? It sounds such a nebbishy answer. It's and that's why Jews people are perceived as nebbishy because it's such a nebbishy. I can't complain. Like, like, oh my gosh. Uh. But what you're saying is, is you don't want to say oh, I'm great. Things are fantastic. I just right. inherited a million dollars. I walked down on the street and a bunch of puppies came and they followed me around and licked my face. It was awesome. You, know, you, can't, you can't do that.
3: Your right. best, Your best bet is to say I can't complain. Right, right I I it's so funny. I mean it's like a call and response, you know what I mean? So what would you answer? I can't complain. It's just what you answer. That's how that is how Jews are, are taught. Um so yeah, there is this idea of not boasting. But also getting back to the functionality of it um it does encourage sharing as well. After all, it's not just that you can't have a son follow a father reading the Torah. Uh, it allows everyone to have a turn at the podium. And it encourages group and community support. And there are many ways that this is done. It's, it, 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 uh, it comes out of what I would call small village cultures. Um, and that kind of leads to a question that cousin Joshua had. In the chat room, Cousin Joshua asked, um, in the days of Instagram, Facebook, and other visually driven media, has the evil eye gotten a cybernetic upgrade? Well, I don't know. Yes, it has. I mean, now there are, you know, there's actual emoticons of the evil eye. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago that that would be an emoticon? But the reason for it isn't so much that evil eye belief has permeated into cultures that didn't have a great deal of it, but that cultures that do have a great deal of it have gotten on the Internet. If you talk to... uh, When I was young, and maybe, Jeremy, you're not as old as me by any means, but maybe you can um, pipe in on this. When I was young and talk about the evil eye, people would say, oh, you come from a funny culture. I mean, that's so funny. That's so strange. But now, you know, with so many people from India being in tech, people from Afghanistan, people from, uh, you know, wherever... The evil, I believe, is now more visible because technology has leveled the playing field between um, what, what would be called backwater cultures and the primary mainstream media drivers. Now anyone can get a YouTube channel. And if you want to learn about how to burn a spand against the evil eye or how to hang a nazar, or which is Turkish, or anything, just look it up on YouTube. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of videos in which people say, well, I saw the way these people in Tajikistan do it, but I'm from Uzbekistan, and this is how we do it in Uzbekistan. And everyone is sharing their evil eye beliefs, and so I think it's gone farther and wider than ever before because of global communication. Now, is that good or bad? I think it's very good because I think ultimately belief in the evil eye does work to moderate people's um, pride and to to moderate expressions of arrogance. Now, it can, among the mentally susceptible, work to increase fear. Everyone's giving me the evil eye. But you soon learn, if you are a part of an evil eye culture, that the people who say, oh, I got the evil eye from so-and-so, I got the evil eye from, I got, you know, Ayn Hara, Ayn Hara, you begin to see that they are expressing their own mental distress. The evil eye is there, but it's not something that we all must walk down afraid all the time. And that's one of the things that Anne Fleitman's book points out, whereas people like Elworthy coming from outside the culture just looking at it and making this huge encyclopedia of evil eye beliefs, he looked at it as this is primitive superstition. So to get back to what you said, Doc Murphy, there is a function for it. It's not just a shared game of scaredy cat, you know? It it does have meaning. And I'm going to say, point out one more thing to answer your question. Doc Murphy. One of the best examples of this is that the people who cure the evil eye, and we haven't talked yet about curing, we talked about averting. There are many cures for the evil eye. In mm-hmm. virtually every society where there are cures for the evil eye, the person doing the curing is either a family member or an old lady. And this is a role that older women have. They can be family members, but a father could cure evil eye for his child in India, but um, but usually it's women. And this becomes this sort of domestic ritual, many times involving water. And so it, it, it assumes this kind of look of witches gathered around the cauldron as they're pour, mm-hmm. you know, putting in pieces pieces of um, charcoal and thing that sizzles and makes eye forms or floats or goes down, or, or they're pouring in olive oil and they're saying prayers. Um, This is a a female cure primarily. But again, that goes to the idea of the moisture of the evil eye coming from the female genitals. So there's a role for women. There's a role for women in curing the evil eye. And I'm just going to real quickly run through a couple of the ideas about curing. There's the holy water cure. Oh, and this brings up community too, Dr. Murphy. Uh, In Greece, especially, if some child has got the evil eye, they're crying, they have diarrhea, whatever, the A member of the family goes to the local church and stands outside with a glass or bowl of holy water from the church, and they ask everyone to spit into it. And this is a way to courteously ask for the saliva of everyone without implicating any one person as the one who gave the evil eye. No blame has passed. And then that... Holy water with all that saliva is taken back, and the child is washed with it. Now you go, ooh, ick! All that saliva, COVID, blah blah. You know, but that is a community leveling experience. No one is blamed. Everyone helps in the cure. It's Unique to Greece and surrounding uh, small nations. Um, the showing cure is unique to India. In this one, you you have um, objects, and what they are varies and the child has got the evil eye, you stand up and you show the child something. Just it, it, it could be a shoe. It could be broom straws. There are different forms of this, a handful of salt. And you pass them around the child, and the child is cured. And the, the items are ritually disposed of. So that's a local one. Burning the evil eye is very common. Cutting the eye, stabbing it, and so forth. Transferring the eye is... A little less common, but it consists of taking somebody taking the eye or transferring it to the ground, um, kind of uh, nullifying it in that way. But someone can take the eye and then they transfer it to the ground because they have more power over it. And, of course, saliva is a cure and salt is a cure. Those are the major cures against the evil eye. You only find these cures in areas where people have a more highly developed cultural sense of the evil eye. Because in areas where you just averted, oh, I'm going to wear my black tourmaline, that'll avert the evil eye. There, if you get it, there isn't a sense of, oh, I have to go down to a, a body of water where fishes are living and throw salt in. <laughs> I mean, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have the, the end way out. You only have the aversion portion of the ritual. That's fascinating. That wa- Absolutely fascinating. I hope that warmed the cockles of your anthropological heart. <laughs> <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> it sure
2: did. There's there's like I said, all, all, with magic generally, but also with these evil eye traditions, there's there's always the question of what's the problem that this that these cures and that these aversions and that these magical spells are trying to solve in society and and I think your explication of that was just exciting and outstanding. For sure. Oh
3: well, thank you. Yeah. So um let me ask uh you know we have some uh, some questions in chat and um and there's some stuff about here about fishes and I did mention fishes. So um so the idea of fishes is fascinating. Pisces says Onyx Rose. Yes, Pisces. Um, I was taught, and again, this comes from Jewish tradition, but you might find the same thing in other Mediterranean and Levant um, cultures, that people born in the sign of Pisces, the sun sign of Pisces, while the sun is passing through Pisces, are immune to the evil eye, or relatively immune. People who have the name fish, as their last name, or in in their name, like the the old German Jewish name Fishbine, which means fishbone. Uh, Fishbine. Anyone named Doctor Fishbine, and there was a Doctor Fishbine, a very fam- famous Doctor Fishbine. Uh, they're immune, and the evil eye can never harm them. And uh, Jeremy, you know a few others um, uh, too. Oh yeah,
4: sure. But you know, I mean, the, uh, let's explain though a little bit about where that where that comes from, uh, which sure. is that. Fishes are immune to the evil eye because they are under the water, and as we said earlier, water water is protective and repels the evil eye. So the evil eye cannot see uh, animals or you know that reside under the water, which is and and that's why the color blue is is uh, uh, repels the evil eye. It's revolting to the evil eye. Um, uh, uh, so yeah fish and then and, and you'll see if you look at a hamsa um which is an anti evil eye amulet very commonly it's very common to see fish uh mm-hmm. as a protective symbol incorporated into both hamsas and in other uh jewish protective amulets and just and um amulets of that region actually not just jewish um, but mm-hmm. uh,
3: uh, of that whole Middle Eastern Arabic, region. Yeah, Arabic as well. Yeah. And, and can I just jump in here? And Americans always go, oh, look, that hamsa has an eye in it. How freaky. And they don't even see the fish in every digit of the hand. <laughs>
4: right. <laughs> they usually make them look very curly ish And I think that uh, people are so staring right at the eye. I think the eye is actually doing its job. That's why they never know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, the is So I, I mean, I like uh, uh, Doc Murphy mentioned it earlier. She said, you know, uh, having a stare, uh, you know, staring at someone, and you're looking at something that's fascinating, and blah 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 blah. And that's and you're and you're kind of you're getting right at the heart of the topic, Doc Murphy, because you have to remember that fascinating, right? It, when you stare at something, it's because you're fascinated with it. If you're fascinated with it, it's like a fascinum it's something you can't mm-hmm. stay or look away from you're you're you've been bewitched right mm-hmm. it's fascinare and that's one of the anti evil eye um uh charms right is a fascinum
2: mm-hmm.
4: you can't mm-hmm. the the evil eye can't look away
2: right? right
3: the fascin right yes it has to see the fasc- now, the fascinus for those who are not uh art historians or Archaeologist a fascinus is a Roman charm in the shape of a penis with balls, a sort of a disembodied penis, and usually it has wings. Um, uh, it is the source of the American term a flying fuck. And, um, you know, you always wonder, where did they come from, that flying fuck? Well, the fascinus is the flying fuck. And it is... Um, it it was carried. It was worn. It was worn by children. People go, oh my God! They're sexualizing children by making them wearing flying fucks. No, no. It's just that the fastness was so fascinating. I mean, if you saw a winged yeah, penis, they were hung outside
4: by. of people's homes. Sure. If you saw a yeah. flying penis, you wouldn't lo- stop looking. Everybody would look at that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. But but there was. I know when I was young, people would say. They would say, "Oh, well, the the fast the flying fuck! It must mean that this house was a brothel." No, it wasn't a brothel. It was a house with children they wanted to protect. Um, so the fastness is a wonderful term, and they sometimes had bells on them, and they were also used as crib toys for children. So you can imagine, you know, the child lying on its back, reaching up and hitting the little thing with the bells and all. But it was a little flying penis <laughs> with bells hanging down. So delightful, so charming. Um, I love art history. So that's what the fastness. And there was large ones too when they would have a when a guy would be like, you know, giving a parade because he just conquered some small nation across the sea and he was returning to Rome for his conquering parade, there would be giant fastness uh statuary, you know, preceding and surrounding him so that you could not look upon him with envy. He would just go, "Oh my god, there's this giant fucking dick." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um Nagashiva Nagashiva said The fastness has no eye on it, oh yes, it does Nagashiva um in fact, oh yes, it does, sweetheart, examine yourself more closely in the future um the the uh, fastness or the the um the penis as an anti evil eye charm was often shown um squirting ejaculate into a giant, yeah. monstrous eye. The, yeah, that's
4: a the, uh, Roman. That's a Roman uh, fresco. Is is uh, a yeah. disembodied penis in 79 A.D. or whatever? This Disembodied penis uh, ejaculating into an evil eye because it stings yeah, like yeah. lemon
3: juice. Yeah, you gotta love it. Yeah, it stings. Oh, it stings. Um, yeah, I just I, I she even says, Oh, that okay. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> um so the there's also um uh, uh, uh the idea of water against the evil eye spit against the evil eye among jewish people who have scattered from their ancient home in Israel, all through the um, European diaspora, they have different ways of doing it, but all of them come from a common source, which is to spit and spit three times against the evil eye. If someone says, oh, I love that jacket you're wearing, you turn your head and you, um, I was always sorry, you turn your head away and you go, or there's different ways to do it, but they all involve saliva in the mouth. And some people spit. Why well, I was told, oh well, you know, we don't spit anymore because it's unsanitary to spit on the sidewalks. It's not allowed. Um, but people would just, actually, yeah. So and so those are different yeah. ways of um, pretending to spit without actually spitting. In my family, also there was kissing as a, as a substitute for spitting. So you would take up, you take your fingers, and it would be your your ring finger and your middle finger, and you would kiss them yeah. but you would kiss them very wetly and you might even lick them and then kiss them and then well, you would think... touch with that touch with that even with that wet finger um kiss the thing that was to be protected
4: yeah. hmm. oh i i think that the spitting i think the spitting of the uh 222 two, two, uh is essentially also uh, related to the fast and, um I think you're turning yourself into a giant pe-
3: ejaculating penis. Oh
4: come I, on. I, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what it is. is. Your, you're
3: Well, that you can you can have that one, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, think I think that's uh, the thing. I
0: think that's the thing. You are you
3: are <laughs> Jeremy. You are a big dick. I knew it all along. <laughs> Folks, I can say that to him because I've met him personally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh, well, well you cracked me I, up. I, I man. Be, you really. <laughs> i think interested in
2: what the two of you think. Um, uh, the the evil eye uh, uh, repellers, the uh, the amulets, have now become fashionable. They become trendy. I think mean, nowadays, if you decide you want to go shopping for earrings or accessories, even in places like Target. Um, you can get jewelry and and uh that sort of thing that are um anything from genuinely classic evil eye uh amulets like Tom says to um you know sort of stylized versions so um what are your thoughts on sort of the trendiness? Now of the, Oh, of the, uh, I th-
3: evil I'm, I'm very happy with it because I'm tired of being considered an outcast, an outsider, and weird, and, you know, someone to take off to the concentration camps. I'm happy to share my wonderful culture with other people. The more people who like me in my culture, the less risk of death. Ooh. Spoken, li- spoken like the truth yeah. of a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, you must but, probably have a more optimistic look on it
4: no my mom was a holocaust survivor too so i well there gotta, you go yeah i mean the the wrong first, people yeah she spent <laughs> the first five years of her life smuggled in a basement
3: you yeah. know yeah so, By word. right yeah it's it's what it is so for me sharing culture has always been a great pleasure learning about culture sharing po- culture supporting and uplifting differing beliefs um, that makes us all actually not outsiders. It makes us all central players. It gives us agency. It allows us to be um, heard and appreciated. I knew when the, um, and is and yeah. and uh, when
4: the... strength in
2: diversity. It's strength in diversity, yes.
3: When When the so-called Kabbalah string became popular a while back, this is a red string, which in my family is called a bendel, most Yiddisha. Uh, Germanic Ashkenazi Jews call it a a bendel but uh, it became known as the Kabbalah string it has nothing to do with the Kabbalah absolutely nothing but a place called the Kabbalah Center was distributing them when that became popular, and even Madonna is wearing a Kabbalah string, and you know whatever, um, people then began to have these ideas. Oh, it's a secret. They're Freemasons. they just god awful. Something terrible. You know, the, the protocols of the Elders of Zion. They have red strings. And I'm like, oh no, this is getting scary. But now um, it's become so common that people go, oh yeah, yeah, they've got a Kabbalah string on, and i like that because the more common something is the less people can um, other you or exoticize you or fear you and, and the more friendly they will be so i willingly gladly share my culture now judaism is not the epicenter of evil i belief, although it is one of the oldest i would say india is just as old and has just as many beliefs and they're very very similar africa just as old and very similar And uh, North Africa, which is slightly different than Central Africa, same thing all around the Mediterranean, Italy, those beliefs go back before written history. And so we're looking at something that came into human consciousness a long time ago. The evil eye belief exists in attenuated form in Japan and China. Um, It is not as common in places like um, indigenous Native American cultures under that Name, under that idea, you don 't see eye symbols being stabbed by nails or whatever, but with the coming of the Spanish conquerors, evil eye belief was introduced from Spain and Portugal to Native Americans, and so it 's now found everywhere in North and South america and I heard our music,
2: yeah, so it 's time now to turn it over to Evan to uh Call up our first reading clients of the
1: evening. Yep, sure thing. Stay tuned. The Lucky Mojo Hooter Work Hour with your host, uh, Doc Murphy, Uh, and uh, this week's special guest, Catherine Ironwood and Dr. Jeremy Weiss. will be right back. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Leaders and Workers. AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to our clients. And our client is calling in from area code 704 and is uh, goes by the name of Trey. Uh, is you, are you there, Trey? I am. How are you? Uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us a call. And as per your uh, write-in, it doesn't appear you've had a reading with either our guest co-host or our guest. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, Trey writes, um, bear with me. There we go. Uh, Sorry. Trey is um, having some trouble with incompatible past relationships and would like to know if they will find someone right for them in the near future and if there are any issues related to them being so empathetic or is there some other cause? So essentially, they want to know what the core of um, why they can't find a good match is. Turning it over to you, Doc.
2: Okay. Well, um how we'll do it this week is I will start with the first reading, uh, if that's all right with everyone, and Dr. Jeremy, if you would be willing to do the second reading, um, we very much appreciate that, and if Ms. Kat would be willing to prescribe the root work advice for Trey after our readings, that would be, um, I think, really wonderful. Folks up for that? Sure. hmm Absolutely. Okay. Okay, so welcome, Trey. Um I feel you. I think mean, I think this is a common problem with a lot of folks, where uh, that that relationship incompatibility is an issue. Um, can I just ask you what your astrological sign is for the for the group here today?
1: So I am a uh, Scorpio. I'm
2: right on the Libra cusp.
1: I have a Leo moon and a Pisces rising.
2: That's all. It's a lot of water there. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to stop start with um, a reading, a very short reading, which a uh, four-card reading that is uh, Past, Present, Obstacle to the Present, and the Future. And let's see here. The cards that I have laid out, the past card um, is the death card. Uh, it mm. seems like uh, outlining, and, and again, I to kind of tell readers, too, that uh, death does not necessarily mean that somebody died. Um, death means that there has been uh, an event in your life where uh, there's been such an, uh, an incredible amount of change, such a tremendous transformation that you cannot really go back to who you were before. Who you were before has died and you have moved on. So uh, apparently in your past there was something that really changed everything in the game for you with regard to relationships. Um, uh, probably not the death of anyone, but the, there's something about this particular death of the relationship that absolutely changed you, possibly wounded you. Um, the card that's sitting in the present slot here is the Six of Swords. And the picture on this card is of a woman and a young child kind of being pushed along in a boat that's filled with swords by a boatman. And they're just kind of, you know, resigning themselves to just getting away, taking a retreat for a while, um, just, just um, packing things up. Something happened fairly recently with regard to a relationship, it seems to me, that um, wounded you very deeply. And you're kind of in a moment of retreat right now. It seems to be a, probably a well-needed rest, a well-needed uh, uh, contemplation, um, to try, kind of needing to get away and to think things through. Um, in this case, it's, it's uh, you know, moving over the water, which is moving over the course of the motions, and it seems to be um, uh, kind of where you're sitting right now. Um, the card that I have that's in the complication for the past or in, or in the obstacle to the past is actually the Queen of Wands. Um, I am sensing that there is somebody that has caught your eye or that there is uh somebody in your life that has been a real um creative and exciting and uh sexy influence that seems to be making you start to ask questions again about, oh, I have had all these kind of crummy relationships. There's somebody really special that's coming along here and I really wanna know I really wanna know if I've been screwing up or I really want to know if there's bad luck head in my way because there's somebody that might be changing the game for me here. The card that I have in the future is the Nine of Wands. And this is a fellow who's uh, emerged from battle. Um, he's standing guard. He's okay. He's been whacked in the head a little bit. He's got a bandage around his head, but he's standing ground. There is still a sense, um, again, with regard to not only your relationships, but with your uh, sexual life, that there's, there's still some healing that has to happen. There's still some guardedness and protection, um, which, in light of your question, makes a hell of a lot of sense. So um, I would say that this is a reading that says to me that um, there isn't a particular reason or cause beyond uh, you were apparently hurt very deeply in the past. And uh, probably the, the advice is to continue to keep your guard up and to continue to keep yourself protected um, as you meet other people. I don't see that there's any particular uh, reason or curse or evil eye or anything that's, that's, that's uh, messing up your love life. It just seems that there's a, a wounded hurt that um, you're not overcoming. So that's what I have for a reading. So if we can turn it over to Dr. Jeremy at this point. Thank okay. you so much. Sure.
4: Trey, um, if you don't mind my asking, uh, how, how old are you?
2: So
1: I am 31.
4: 31. Nice young man. Okay, excellent. And uh, um, uh, I, I, I just was curious, and this is just to help, to help me a little bit. Um, uh, I was curious, you, you kind of mentioned in there that you have a little issue about being too empathetic. And I wanted to ask you um, a little bit to maybe tell me a little bit more about what that means. Or do you mean that you're codependent, or do you are you an empath of some sort, um, and that's getting in the way? What, 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 what? Why did
1: you include that? So I would definitely say I'm I'm 100 uh, percent an empath, uh, and I feel like it does get in the way because. Uh, I feed into other people's emotions more than I probably should. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay.
4: Well, all right. Well, let me do. I'm going to do a bibliomancy reading for you. Okay. All right. That's a little mm-hmm. bit different than a tarot reading, and I do it in a different way. I I I speak with the seven prophetesses of the Bible, and I have I select one so to, to that that comes forward and identifies herself. And this this time it's Sarah. Okay. And Sarah, through the use of a chart, is going to refer me to to a section of the Bible. Okay, um, but before she does that, um, I, I'm going to concentrate on your on your on your question. And your very first question that you had was was um, let me see this. Uh, 12, uh, Will I find someone right for me in the near future? Correct? That's what you want to know. Will I find someone who's right for me in the near future? All right, we're going to find out. The first first, uh, answer that I come up with, and this is very interesting, I have two answers, and that is not usually the case. Usually there is only one answer. Um, This one has two So we're going to have a lot to think about here. And the answer is Proverbs 27, uh, verse 6. okay, And that says, The kisses of an enemy may be profuse, but the faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this, to me, means that don't get too caught up in... Uh, a hot sexual uh, romance that that's not what you're looking for what you're looking for is someone who will be with you through the tough times the faithful are uh, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend okay the second part that has come up is proverbs 31 10 through 22. And this is a long passage. This is a long passage. And before I get into the passage, I want to say, if indeed you are an empath, I want you to be very, very careful of that. Um, That is something that's good for you to know, and you have to be um, uh, aware of that because a lot of people find, and I'm just going to be frank, a lot of people find empaths kind of annoying. Because what happens is they're having their little meltdown, their breakdown, or whatever, and the empath heals it so strongly that they empathize, and then they have a meltdown, and and their meltdown like overshadows the person who's actually having the problem. So that you have to make sure that you're not falling into an attention-seeking type behavior. That's just the but if you are empathic, you just have to be careful of your power. That's all. So Proverbs 31, 10 through twenty-two. You are looking for a wife of a noble. Uh, you want a wife of a noble character who can find a wife of a noble character who can find question mark who can find a wife of a noble character. She is worth more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her. And lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. So you've got a woman who's getting ready to work, and she's bringing you good and not harm. Uh, She is like the merchant ship, bringing her food from afar. So she's a hard worker. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her servants. So she is uh, 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 got a good job. You're looking for a woman with a fantastic job. Um, Sixteen. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings and plants a vineyard. So you're looking for someone who is uh, entrepreneurial. Okay. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. Um, She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear uh, for her household. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. Oh, that's a very protective color. Um, she makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. So she is a person who who makes the woman for you. She she dresses nicely, but she doesn't mind getting her hands dirty. She's out there. She's a hard worker. She's faithful. This is this is the woman for you. Don't get swayed by a bunch of kisses. That's what it's
1: saying. That absolutely wow. makes sense. Uh, sorry, Trey. That's that. Uh, yeah, it absolutely makes sense because uh, the readings I've done on myself, I keep pulling like a like a strong, independent woman card. Yeah, mm-hmm.
4: strong, mm-hmm. independent woman. Someone who. That's exactly right. That's your fit. That That is your fit. Mm-hmm. Someone who's very fantastic, very dedicated.
3: Yeah. I, I'm just going to yes. ask, because I'm reading the chat here while we're talking. And Evan, and thank you, Evan, for coming in on this, just popped in to say this to Trey. It might not be that you're too empathetic. As a Pisces, I know one of our weak points is that we too quickly meld our emotions with others, be it friends or love interest. I'd take some time to consciously work on feeling out your emotions daily. It will help you to know when you're taking on someone else's things. Yeah, good that's a good point, advice, Evan. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah and this, goes to the, this goes to the Scorpio and Pisces portions of your... Uh, chart. I, Evan didn't mention that. I know he's an astrologer, though, and he mentioned being that he's a Pisces himself. Um, I'd like to give some uh, root work advice. So I would uh, say that the first thing I would want to do, whatever relationships have hurt and damaged you, and um, uh, Doc Murphy found some definite damage has been done, not necessarily with intent, but you are... Hurt. You are in a position of um, feeling um, that you have to defend yourself, or that you are that you have been um, maltreated. And there, that card, the the Nine of Wands, always speaks to um, your worldview suddenly becoming darker because of what has happened to you. So we want to get you bathed and cleaned from that. We want to mark a transition point from those feelings to a sense of cleanliness and um, spiritual hope and starting a new path. Don't be turning backward. Don't be looking back uh, right now the way that Nine of Wands is doing. So a simple cleansing bath, is you know, there are so many of them, but um, you can take anything like... Um, Van Van um, bath crystals. You can take Chinese wash, of it in a tub of bath water. You can make your own um, cleansing bath with some of the things we mentioned from the Evil Eye uh, book. Lemon, for instance. Um, some people put salt and lemon in a bathtub there, you don't want to put in so much that it, you know, is uh, crazy harsh on your skin. You just some just a little bit. And um, there are many different other ones. People will sometimes use pine needles. There's so m- different cultures have their own different cleansing rituals. Rue is used by many, and again, rue is in the lemon and orange family. So you could make a little tea with um, uh, steeping some rue, throwing some lemon juice, some salt, dissolving it in the warm water, and then pouring, straining that, and pouring it into the bath. And you're going to bathe and um, you're going to ask to be relieved of all of the negativity. The negativity that's been given to you and the negativity that you um, experience in response to other people, the negativity that you Fear, the negativity you uh, suspect, the negativity that you remember, um, the negativity that you expect—all of just name every different form—and just by um, its position in your life, and um, and you wash yourself down and cross yourself, and um, then you know stand up. Um, if you have a lot of salt in the water, you're going to want to rinse yourself with clean water. If you don't, just a sprinkle of salt. You don't need to. And you're going to let that water go and take a little bit of the water and throw it to the west um, and say as the sun sets so the, the 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 negativity is gone then I'd like you to start another prayer cycle and do it with confidence and good feeling. I want you to take that um, passage that um, Jeremy found um, in Proverbs, and it was quite long, as you know, I want you to write it out in your own handwriting. And when you write it out in your own handwriting, you're going to um, uh, place it on a piece of um, fireproof surface, like a tin plate or something like that, and you're going to um, put on it a candle stand with a candle in it. And let the candle burn if the candle wax falls under the paper, some people call that it's blessing the paper that's good and you're you're going to visualize this woman. you're going to visualize this lover. I mean it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman i i It' does not important how you visualize it, but the qualities that are given in that. Um, bible passage of the person who has a distaff in hand and buys property and it's just you know a competent partner, someone who is as good as you, as strong as you and a helper to you and wishes to go through life with you and visualize that person and then ask that that person appear in your life and that you will know them when you see them you can burn seven candles like this, small candles, we're not talking about glass vigil candles, I'm talking about small candles Burn seven of them on seven evenings and ask for a sign. Ask for somebody to, to appear that you will see. If no one appears, bathe again. Do the seven days again. You can do that three times, three baths, three times seven. If nothing happens, call back and we'll give you something much more focused. But this is a sort of a general spell of cleansing. where. Um, uh, Herbs or oils that are attractive to others. Look Me Over is a good one. Um, you know, Come to Me, Love Me. Those are kinds of herbs that people use attraction. Um, and, uh, you know, herb blends. and um, Or a cologne or a perfume or an aftershave that you really like. Just wear wear a touch of that. And when you put it on, I want you to put it on three places. I want to put it at the root of your penis, at your heart, and at your throat this is for speech if you find someone you can go on and add it to your third eye as well that's it good luck all right well thank you both very much
2: for your insightful uh talk about Terrors of the evil eye exposed and for our help with trey today it is now time for our network announcement let's dance
1: All-time specific, Add 3 Hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time to go to our free spell segment with Dr. Jeremy Weiss of com. Take it away, uh, Dr. Jeremy.
4: All right. Thank you, Evan. Um, this is Dr. Jeremy's evil eye cleanser and this will definitely cure any evil eye the cure for the evil eye if you feel like maybe you've been exposed to the evil eye and i have to tell you a lot of cures a lot of a lot of folk cures are painful or arduous but this is this is kind of a fun one this is a fun one you're going to take a cup of sugar now sugar is anti-evil eye And you're going to combine that with a half a cup of water. Water is anti-Evil Eye.
2: And you're going to put that in a
4: saucepan over low heat until the sugar has dissolved. And now you have a sugar-water thing, combination, and that's called simple syrup. Okay? Then you're going to take one and a half ounces of amaretto. Now, amaretto is made from almonds. And almonds are anti-evil eye. So one and a half ounces of amaretto and three quarters of an ounce of bourbon, preferably uh, Booker's Cast Proof bourbon. Um, and then you're going to add one ounce of lemon juice. Lemon juice is anti-evil eye. okay? <laughs> then you're going to add two tablespoons of the Simple Syrup, <laughs> And one egg white. Now, egg whites have been used to diagnose the evil eye for ages and ages and ages. But this is not about diagnosis. This is going to be about cure. You take all of that and you put it in a cocktail shaker and you shake without ice for about 10 seconds to integrate. And then you add ice and then shake until chilled. So that's about 15 seconds. And then you strain it over fresh ice, in an old-fashioned glass, and then you garnish it. Now, the garnish is very important. You take a maraschino cherry, which is an eye, and you stab it through the eye with a sprig of rosemary, anti-evil eye. Now, after this drink, now then you imbibe the drink, and, and after you've imbibed the drink, you'll probably feel a slight... Sense of well-being. I think it's <laughs> possible so you might need another another drink, just one more, and you could be able to tell a hundred percent certainty there ain't no more evil eye. You feeling good now? <laughs> and that's Doctor Jeremy's evil eye cleanser.
2: <laughs> I am a I am a hundred percent on board with any magic that involves whiskey. And I am totally on board with any cocktail justification for repelling people. That was lovely. <laughs> so we want to have a party now.
3: <laughs> wow. Well, I can add nothing to that. Um, that is that is uh, phenomenal. Um, you know the the funny thing, and I know this. I'm not trying to be um, snarky about this. All of those things, other than the egg whites, could go into an anti-evil eye bath as well. You wouldn't necessarily use a maraschino cherry, but you could use, um, uh, you know, regular cherries. They're against the evil eye, in the same way that almonds are. All of those fruits that have a stone in the middle that looks like an eye. Stone a stone fruit. A prune. A, a stone fruit, right. A prune also is against the evil eye. But almonds are the most common because you can actually eat them. They look like an eye. So, yeah, you could actually adapt that. Um, and make a, a fabulous bath scrub, um, it, it's uh, it's just a really good formula. A little cherry essence, a little rosemary essential oil. It would be nice. It would make a wonderful anti-evil eye bath scrub. It's a the egg white, I'm not so sure, about, though, in the bath. You know, it.
4: <laughs> it's a great bath scrub, and um, it definitely cures the evil eye from the inside out.
3: Yeah, from the effects. Yeah, and and by the way, putting putting whiskey in a bath is not unheard of either. I mean, that's you know, totally normal sure. in in the world of worlds. So that's great. What a cool idea! I'm thinking about that. Um, it, you can bathe in it while you drink it. <laughs> Well, there, there, there are it's the basis for this.
4: It's not, it, I, this. This didn't really come out of absolutely nowhere. I will say that there is a basis for this because there are, and I think we talk about them maybe in the book, is that there are confections that mm-hmm. um, candies that are anti evil eye, and one of them, of course, is marzipan, uh, which is. Ground almonds mixed with sugar, Mm -hmm. and then they might—I believe in—I believe it's Turkey. Do they put a little bit of uh, a sprig of rue or rosemary on top? You know, and yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah, it's a little—it's a little little treat, and if you serve a tray of those, you're is saying somebody here hates me, but it's going to be all right. (laughs) Everyone have a candy; you'll all be fine. Sounds so,
2: like we again, have the makings here th- for an anti evil eye feast, an anti evil eye party for all your friends.
3: Oh yeah, you know that's the, the, your, what you're saying is not so far off the track. Um, the uh, idea of, I mean, uh, the idea of an anti evil eye festival or feast would be would be absolutely doable, absolutely doable.
4: That would be porn.
3: <laughs> well, when COVID. Uh, gets the boot uh we'll all show up and and toast each other with with little uh, almond cookies
2: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> there up are for many it.
3: many uses of there are many uses of almonds against the evil eye and it's just so funny because people think of it just, if you're not a, if you're not evil eye aware or in an evil eye culture you go almonds i don't get that yeah but it's very important in the history of um the Middle East, the serving of almonds is a gesture. Sugared almonds, you know, uh, salted almonds—it's all a thing, you know. Well, Fantastic. I'm I'm glad that that there's a, ver- a way we can do this without having to drink the whiskey. You, you and you and Doc Murphy, Jeremy, y'all can y- y'all get all the whiskey you want in the world because you know? <laughs> I'm not taking my yay share. for me. <laughs>
4: Well, I'm not much of a cocktail uh, drinker, but um but uh, I thought it would be a nice variation uh
3: yeah. sound. Yeah. great. Yeah, right. It's really great. Um well, we have a uh There we have it. I was going to say we have we have about 30 seconds left and there came the music just when I was saying it. So take it away, Doc Murphy, and and uh, let's wrap this thing up.
2: All right, thank you both for coming, and I will turn this over to Evan to lead us out of the show. Evan?
1: Sounds, sounds great. Uh, thank you, Dr. Murphy, and thank you, Ms. Kath, and thank you, Dr. Jeremy Weiss of templeofmerriam.com for being our guest this week. Join us next week for our special uh, pre-festival Oracle Hour when our guests will be Deacon Millett and myself, Evan Lionheart, discussing the book Your Birth Star Influences and What They Mean by Stanley Barrett. The Lucky Mojo Hootie Root Work Hour was brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and uh, Conjureman, if you are here, at ContraManConsulting.com in Michi Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Evan Lionheart, joining you from evanlionheart.com in New Jersey. The Lucky Mojo Hootie Root Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archives via LuckyMojo.com forward slash radio dot HTML. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis jug band playing the jug band waltz. Thanks everybody. Goodbye.
2: Thank you, Evan, uh, and thank you, Miss Cat and Dr. Jeremy,
3: for coming out to the show. Make sure to buy your and tickets, folks. Yes,
2: come to see the virtual Who Heritage Festival.
4: Get your tickets. It's gonna be. It's just next week. Hurry up. Yeah.
2: Get there. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thank yeah, it's gonna be out.
3: a fun show. Well, we're on the last verse, Doc Murphy. Keep talking.
2: <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, best wishes to conjure man Ali hopefully uh, um, you'll be back sound very soon and like I said we're looking forward to the virtual heritage festival coming up very soon lots of workshops by many many of the regular guests here on the show I'm looking forward to it Um, and I'm looking forward to learning new and old things from review but also the fellowship of the hoodoo community so thank you all and have a very good night. Thanks for coming out. Bye. Good night. Good night. Bye bye. <laughs> that
0: was funny.